Morning, everyone. So we've been learning over the summer about a bunch of different names of God. Some of the things that God says about himself and some of the things that others say about him. And we've been doing this so that we have a fuller, a bigger, a more rounded, a more accurate picture of who our God is. Now, the best picture that we've got of who God is, is Jesus. It's the right answer to every question that you ask in church. But the Old Testament also gives us a beautiful insight into how the people of God knew him before Jesus was revealed. And because God's so much bigger than any picture or any description that we can contain him in, we need to look from loads of different angles or perspectives to get a better view. So let's have a go. <clears throat> Dave, is this on? We good? Okay. Any ideas? What is it? Okay, now I'm going to cut you short. Any more ideas? Oh, hold on. Someone got it very early then. Wow, you spoiled that. Some people still have no idea. Fossils. There we go. It's an elephant, okay? It's different parts of an elephant, looking at it from different angles, okay? Um, some of us are visual people. Other people are more verbal people. So um, how about a description now, okay? See if you can think what it is. So think about the words here. It's white. It's black. It's the same thing. It's heavy. Oh, it's light. No, it's sharp. It's exciting. Sends me to sleep. It comes alive in my mind. I'm getting closer. It's better than the film. A book, a book, a book. Okay, can be all those things. Bits of a book can be any of those things. Okay, looking at things from different perspectives. Some of us are visual people, some of us are wordy people, some of us are feely people. Some of us are feely people. Have a volunteer. Have a volunteer. Karen, okay. Okay, close your eyes. Okay, can, some, can you make sure that her eyes are actually closed? Thank you. Maybe. <laughs> really? Okay. Keep them closed. Okay, that's fine. No worries, no worries. Just wait a little bit, okay? I'm just getting some props out here. That's okay. Don't be nervous. It's fine. Okay. So, Karen, Karen, with your eyes closed, okay? Yeah, hand, okay? Just going to touch some things, okay? So, okay, just bend down a bit. Okay, that's perfect. Okay. Okay. That's the first one. Okay, stand up. Keep your eyes closed. Any ideas? No, very little idea. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> next, next one. Okay, just touch. Oh, do it again. No. <laughs> okay, second one. Any idea? No. no. Okay, third one. I don't 
think I'm fairly touchy or verbal. It's all part of the same. It's all part of the same thing. Oh, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. Another one. Another one. Okay, this hand. This hand. Okay. Any ideas yet? That was hair. That was hair. Okay. That was. That was. It was a beard. It was a beard. Okay. Last. Okay. Oh, it's rich. One more. Oh, it is. It's rich. Okay. It's rich. It's rich. Okay. It took to get the beard. That's wonderful. Thank you, Sorry, Karen. I've got my eyes open. <laughs> some of us are visual people. Some of us are wordy people. Some of us are feely people. But you start to get the picture. You get the point. Yeah. Um, We've studied loads of different names given to God that describe something of who he is, one aspect of him, his character. But no one of them gives us a full picture. Everything reveals something more about God, his character, and, his, and what he's like. We've looked at six of them so far, and today is number seven. Prizes for those that can name the six so far. Name one. You're not included, Rich. Huh? Here's our peace. Oh, you've got the purple one. That's a good one. Okay, that's one. Okay. Uh, Jehovah Shalom, Yahweh, our peace. What's another one? We've got five more. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. You've got a green one, sorry. Okay, another one. That's two. Four more to go. Healer. Can you remember what it's called? I can't split this in half. Go on, give it, give it, give it. Huh? Jehovah Rafi. Look, she's stolen it, James. Sorry. Oh, it's another green one. Okay, that's three down, three to go. Okay, Jill. Have we done that one? We haven't even done that one. We haven't, you're getting ahead. That's like prophetic. I'm going to give you two. They're coming along the floor. There you go. So that doesn't count. There's three more. Jehovah Nissi, it's the wrong, it's, there is a Jehovah Nissi, can you remember which one it is? Someone said it at the back, they've stolen it, Helen. You can fight Helen for half of that sweet, there's two more, there's two more, we've done Jehovah uh, Rofi, we've done Jehovah Nissi, we've done Jehovah Shalom, we've done Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, there's two. Two more that we've done. Anthony. Oh, that is a hard one. What is it? What is that? God who sanctifies me, the God who makes me holy. Here we go. I don't want to hit someone with it. Health and safety and all. <laughs> Last one. There's one more. There's one more. It's the most memorable one as well. He is the creator. I mean, that's correct, but that's not one of the ones that we've studied. I'm not, I can't give you another one. can't give you another one. She's trying to answer it with a mouthful. <laughs> Unbelievable. Can anyone else remember? I'll give you a clue. <laughs> Matty? Yeah, which means? <laughs> the Lord my shepherd. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. So we've looked at Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh who provides. We've looked at Jehovah Rophi, Yahweh our healer. We've looked at Jehovah Nissi, Yahweh our banner. Jehovah Mkadesh, don't even know how to pronounce that. Yahweh who makes us holy. We've looked at Yahweh, uh, Jehovah Shalom, Yahweh our peace. And Jehovah Rohi, Yahweh our shepherd. Each of those names gives us a different ang- 
angle, a different perspective to see God from and to magnify, make bigger our vision of him, to make it more fuller, more accurate, more glorious. So today, we're going to be looking at another name or description of God. And the one that we're looking at today is Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah. Now, it's only found right at the end of the book of Ezekiel, the prophet. And those of you that may have read Ezekiel know that it's a book full of some pretty weird and scary prophecies, much of which still baffles theologians today. And it's not the most straightforward or easy to understand book. But the final verse of the final chapter of that book ends with these words. And the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Yahweh, Yahweh is there. So Ezekiel prophesied about some very, very strange things. He talked about beasts with faces, wings, and wheels. He talked about flashing thunder and lightning. He talked about a river that starts indoors. He talked about bones that come alive into an army. And then he ends all of that craziness with some really simple, does what it says on the tin, words. The name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. Why? So there's three rules when you study the Bible. Three rules. First rule context. Second rule, context. Third rule, context. Okay, Really, really simple. So what's going on here? What's the background to this? Okay, well, Ezekiel was a prophet of the Babylonian exile. That means that he was a Jew who was taken captive along with a bunch of other Jews into a place called Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq. Now, the Jewish people at that point had been split into two kingdoms for quite a while before this, Israel and Judah. You'll recognize some of these names. About a century before, Israel was defeated and taken into captivity by another empire, the Assyrians. Ezekiel, as well as Daniel, were part of Judah, the second kingdom. And they were defeated by the Babylonians around 600 years before Jesus came, so around 600 B.C., Jerusalem, their capital city, was destroyed about 20 years into that exile, into their time of captivity, and that was a key theme of all of Ezekiel's prophecies. The destruction of Jerusalem was what loads of his prophecies revolved around in the book. So Ezekiel was a prophet who ministered to the Jews while they were in exile for about two decades, he brought words of judgment, he brought words of conviction, he brought words of challenge, he brought words of encouragement, repentance, and restoration to his people. So the Jews at that time, they believed that they'd be returning to Jerusalem really, really soon. They were captives, they'd been taken away from their land, and they believed that God would be bringing them back really quickly. But Ezekiel burst their bubble and challenged them Before you get back to Jerusalem, you need to come back to the Lord. You need to come back to Yahweh. He was preaching and prophesying a message of repentance to them. They'd been in captive for about 25 years by the time Ezekiel was in full flow in his ministry. And Jerusalem and the temple were all in ruins by then. They'd been destroyed. So the Jews' land, their house, their city of God's presence had all disappeared. They'd lost 
everything. They'd lost their ancestral land. They'd lost everything that they had. They'd lost um, the, the temple that defined who they were as a people that held the presence of God. All of that had been destroyed. So it would have seemed to any Jew who was living at that time when these words were spoken that God had washed his hands of his people. And that's when Ezekiel begins to prophesy hope to them. The famous passages that some of you will know about in Ezekiel start to flow. Dry bones coming to life. The joining of two kingdoms, Israel and Judah, coming back together. Rebuilding of the temple. The coming of God's presence. The river flowing from beneath the temple. And the naming of the new Jerusalem, the city of God. Jehovah Shammah. God is there. So for a people that had felt very little other than beat up, imprisoned, oppressed, lost, forgotten, erased, cut off from their heritage, their culture, their land, and their God, and for a people who'd endured that suffering for longer than most of us here have known God, and who probably thought that all God wanted to do was punish them, to then be given a promise that all of this is going to be restored. You're going to dwell again in a place where God is and where he dwells among you. That's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big deal for them. Jehovah Shammah, God is there. The one they thought had abandoned them was now telling them, no, I haven't. I'm here and you're going to see it really soon. So that's a bit of the history, that's a bit of the context that surrounds this passage that we're looking at today. Jehovah Shammah was a promise for his people that he would dwell with them again. But let's turn to the book of Revelation, because we see a lot of the same imagery described here in John's vision of the new Jerusalem that's still to come. Um, Can someone read this for us? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Hmm. That's Revelation chapter 21. If you read the whole chapter, you'll see tons of similarities between John's vision here in Revelation and Ezekiel's vision of the new Jerusalem, which he ends with the words, Jehovah Shammah. And we often find this with prophecy 
in the Bible, many prophets see and share visions that talk about historical events that are happening right there, but they also speak of the coming of Jesus, and they also speak of end-time events that are still to come. And Ezekiel is no different here. He's speaking about lots of different things here. His promise was for yesterday, for the Jews in exile, in their context, in their time, bringing hope to them in their despair. But his promise is also for tomorrow, for the coming new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, our ultimate home with God. But more than just back and forward, his promise is also for today. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. His promise is for now, for us here. So I want us to get a little bit involved here. I'm going to use the mic. Is this on? Yeah, should be on, should be on. Um, We're going to do a little bit of reading, okay? And as we read these passages that talk about Jehovah Shammah, they don't use those words, but they talk about God's presence, God's here and now. Let Holy Spirit stir you up and open your, your eyes to the reality of Jehovah Shammah right here, right now. So we just go one down. There's more of these. It's not just seven. Pass it on to the next person and read the next one. Okay, you don't need to read the context. Just read the verse itself. Okay? Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I can never be lost to your spirit. I can never get away from my God. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Mm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Which number is it? 24. Which number? 
the bottom one. 14. Right. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the place of, I can't see it, of the dead, you are there. If I hide, the, if I ride the morning winds to the, to the further oceans, Even though your hand will guide me, your strength will support me. Mm. Amen. Last so one. I'm afraid that was a bit small for me. It's too small for most of us, don't we? <laughs> I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What number are we? 16. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and let and eat with him and he with me. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Mm. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? try to hide in the darkness, the night becomes light around me. Even darkness cannot hide from God. Mm. For in him we live and move and have our being. Mm. When I awake, I am still with you. Mm. There's nowhere that God is not. There's nowhere that God is not. There's no place. There's no situation. There's no circumstance. There's no emotion. There's no mountain. There's no valley. There's no past. There's no future. There's no here and now where God is not. He knows. In Hebrews 14, it tells us that Jesus sympathizes. God sympathizes. He knows our troubles. He's been there. He understands. We can relate to him. He's not distant or disconnected. He is. He's present. Psalm 139, we read a few different passages from it. It's my joint favorite psalm. It tells us that there's no place that we can escape from his presence. And this consistency, this abiding in him, this awareness and togetherness, this union with him has always been his plan. In Genesis, we read that God walked in the garden during the cool of the day. His original intention was to hang out with his creation. 
was to enjoy his creation, enjoy us, walk with us, be with us. In John's gospel, Jesus speaks in picture language of our uninterrupted relationship with him through abiding in him. He restores that connection. That's what Jesus does. That original intent, that connection with the Father, that relationship that we were created for. Some of you may have read this awesome book by a 17th century French monk, Brother Lawrence, who washed dishes and practiced the presence of God. That's what he did. He washed dishes in God's presence. That's how ordinary this is supposed to be. God's presence is awesome, unparalleled, life-changing, yet utterly natural, everyday, ordinary to those that know him and abide in him. There's a great story nestled in the book of Genesis, right in between Jacob pulling the wool over his father's eyes and then being tricked into marrying the ugly sister. It's true. It's a bit like an episode of EastEnders or something. Um, But there's this awesome story about Jacob. He's on a journey. He's tired. He's in the desert. He goes to sleep with a rock as a pillow. So he's sleeping, and he has this dream. There's angels ascending and descending. We're not going to read it, but that's it. It's Genesis 28. Um, There's angels ascending and descending on a ladder between heaven and earth. And God speaks and gives Jacob the most amazing promise of blessing and multiplication and protection. And then Jacob wakes up. And when he wakes up, he says this. Wow, surely God is in this place. And I was completely unaware of it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I love that story. I love the fact that it happened to Jacob, one of the most unlikable, dishonest, undeserving characters we come across. And there's quite a few in the Bible. I love the fact that he's blown away by God. Surely God is here, and I never even knew it. How often do you and I go through life completely unaware of God's presence? Jacob was traveling. He was on a trip. He was in between stuff. And the stuff he was in between wasn't very godly. He was wrapped up in himself and he was going around in circles, wasn't really going anywhere. It's the equivalent of being stuck and knackered and at a standstill on the M25 in rush hour. This was ordinary stuff. This was run-of-the-mill, everyday stuff. He was just on a journey. Yet God was there. Jacob needed a dream to wake him up to that reality. What do I need to wake me up to that reality? What do you need to wake you up to that reality when you're stuck in traffic, when you're in the checkout line, when you're at work, when you're cooking dinner, when you're picking the kids up, when you're sat on the sofa, when you're at the gym, when you're doing the normal everyday things of life? What do you need to wake you up to the reality that God is there? Jehovah Shammah. How awesome is this place? There's nowhere that God is not. At the shops, in your car, on the streets, in your home, at your office, in your head. 
Heaven is open. Angels are ascending and descending. God is speaking life, promises, newness, blessing, intimacy into your life. Do we hear him? Do we hear him? Do we notice? Or do we need a rock to the head to wake us up? Ezekiel's vision of Jehovah Shammah would have been a lightning bolt into the stormy darkness and cloud of Judah's captivity. John's vision in Revelation would have been a beacon, to hope, beacon of hope to all of those who were enduring persecution and martyrdom in the early days of Christianity. His vision now is our enduring hope of eternity with God. Jacob's dream was a punch in the gut for someone that had ignored God and now found himself on the end of his blessing. Jesus' words, abide in me, were a wake-up call that we can do nothing without him. David's poetic words throughout the Psalms are a realization of God's presence everywhere, in every place, every person, every situation. And Luke's words in the book of Acts, in him we live and move and have our being brings all the thunder, all the lightning, all the gut-wrenching, head-banging wake-up calls into the ordinary every day. God is there, Jehovah Shammah. So after all of Ezekiel's visions of judgment, end times, in the midst of all that fear, that chaos, that confusion, that uncertainty, he ended his words with the comforting and consistent truth that God is there. So in our fear, in our confusion, in our uncertainty, in our storms, in our everyday, his presence should be more than enough to restore our sight and fix our eyes, our attention, our affection on him, Jehovah Shammah. So as we end, I want to remind us of another story that Jesus told about a field a pearl, and some buried treasure. In Matthew 13, Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Where a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Have we discovered the treasure of God's presence? Is it life-giving to you, even when you're washing dishes? <laughs> Does Jehovah Shammah invade your every day and eclipse everything else? Would you give everything that you have to spend time in his presence? Is he more precious than gold and silver and diamonds to you? For the people of God in captivity, Jehovah Shammah was everything, everything they'd been hoping and praying for. For us today in this place, does the same promise fill us with wonder, joy, ecstasy? If not, then I'd suggest there's a lot more to Jehovah Shammah than we know. So we should spend more time with him and let him ruin us for anything else. Following Jesus isn't 
just an add-on to our busy lives. It's not something that we do on Sunday and when we meet up midweek with those weird Christian friends. It's not something that sits alongside my job, my family, my other hobbies. But if that's what it starts to feel like, or if that's what it's become when I'm really honest with myself, then I've got to ask the question, am I really following him? Or am I following something else? Jesus says, come follow me. Leave everything behind. Love me more than everything else. Take up your cross. And then the final words Jesus speaks that Matthew records in his gospel, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. All of those challenging uh, calls to follow me, take up your cross, leave everything behind, really difficult stuff. And yet he ends his words with, I'm with you always, never going anywhere. I'm always with you, Jehovah Shammah, God is there. All we need to do is open our eyes. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your presence. And God, I want to say sorry when I don't recognize you with me, when I don't notice you with me. But the reality is there is nowhere that you are not. There's no situation I find myself in where you are not present. Would you help all of us to be more aware of you in the everyday, in the big things, in the little things, in the exciting things, in the mundane things, Lord God? You are always with us. Would you open our eyes? Help us to pause, to quiet ourselves, to tone down the busyness, to slow down and notice Jehovah Shammah with us. And God, as we do that, would you captivate our hearts, our minds, our souls, our spirits, our bodies with your wonder, with your awesomeness, with your beauty, with your power, with your glory, Lord God. Would we realize just how amazing you are when we notice you're still small voice or the touch of your fingertips on something around us. Help us to follow you at your pace, not running ahead, not rushing about and keeping busy, but at your pace when you are present in every moment. Because God, if we're not doing that, then I'm not really sure what we're doing. <laughs> and I confess there's a lot of doing something I'm not sure what I'm doing in my life, God, and I'm sure most of us are like that, Lord. So we say sorry, God. Help us walk at your pace. This week, Lord, would you open our eyes to your reality. Help us see you in the most unlikely of situations and places and interactions. Help us praise you in the strangest of places. Help the affection of our heart turn towards you when the circumstance has nothing to do with any of that. Thank you that you 
promise to always be with us, to never leave us. You are there, Jehovah Shammah. We love you and thank you for who you are. Amen.